I'm Sean. And I'm Lisa. We're a married couple, and we like to talk about... The the Beach Beach Boys. Boys! So... Here we are with yet another episode of Tune X Podcast. Good morning, dear. After whatever time of day it is, dear, I wish you a good one. It's like almost nine o'clock at night. Ah, oh, we're late. We got to go to bed in a few minutes. We do? No, but it sounds like fun. No. I don't want to go to bed early. (sighs) Okay. All right. Fine. Um, But before we get into the main part of this, whatever you call it, so this ordeal, um... (laughs) I just want to answer a question that a listener had. Actually, you already answered it privately. The question was in our introductory episode, episode zero, where in San Diego were we? Well, the answer to that and pretty much any other question that relates to where we are in San Diego, Ocean Beach. Chances are if we're in San Diego, we're at Ocean Beach. Those of you who aren't familiar with San Diego... If you want to get a look at Ocean Beach, watch the beginning of Almost Famous, because the establishing shots are right there on Newport Avenue in Ocean Beach. That's where we usually hang out when we're out there, so that's uh, all I had to say about that. Uh, Did you have anything you wanted to get out of the way before we get into uh, tonight's festivities? No. Let's get on with it. Okay. On with it. Well, yeah, because, yeah, because like I said, we have to go to bed in a few minutes, so... Uh, today's festivities, well, basically uh, recalling the wonder that is, oh, how do I say, okay, you screw it, the wonder that is smile, and how it came to be, our memories of all that, I can't think of the word, I should have written something down, our memories of leading up to smile, its eventual release, and we have it, we didn't think we'd ever have it. Mm-hmm. And nobody thought it would ever. Well, I'm sure there are some people who are like, yeah, it'll happen someday, but... Yeah, but we didn't think it would happen until long after Brian had left this earth. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that before, how we figured that was the only way, and that Capitol probably already had a smile archival release ready to go as soon as they got word, And but... Um, well, to be fair, I mean, we had heard stories over the years, times Brian had said in interviews or whatever, that the smile music was inappropriate, that he destroyed the tapes. We know the whole legend of how there were fires in LA the same day that Brian recorded the fire music and that freaked him out. And as with a lot of things that we get from Brian interviews, sometimes it's how he's feeling on a particular day, yep. not necessarily the total truth. I mean, I don't want to make Brian out to be a liar. It's just when Brian is asked a question, he answers it according to right now, as opposed to looking at things in the long term, looking at things in the past, just however he's feeling at that moment. So that's why we often have a lot of inconsistent information from him. And we have proof that the tapes weren't destroyed because we... Well, we have the Smile Sessions box set. Well, that and also things like if Brian had destroyed the tapes for fire, we would not have had that music in the Beach Boys and American Band documentary in the 1980s. There would not have been smile music on the Good Vibrations box set. There would not have been all this music on a number of bootlegs that came out over the years. And there was a number. Oh, yes. 
But the way Brian answers, it's pretty much, I think, a combination of things. It's the vibe. It's how much he wants to get the interview over with. Oh, yes, definitely. It's what kind of rapport he has with the Mm -hmm. interviewer. Because if you get somebody he's really comfortable with, he will talk. He will spill his guts. And also, artists have can have love-hate relationships with their own work, where their opinion changes over time. Or, I mean, it's understandable for Brian to say one thing one day and another thing another day. Yep. But still, that's all the information that we had. And mm-hmm. you have to go with what you have. And especially when the Good Vibrations box set came out in 1993 and Fire was not on it. Yep. Over the years, we've heard from reliable sources that Brian himself did not want, just like how he didn't want Let Him Run Wild on that box set because he always said he was unhappy with his vocals. So it's like, okay, there was smile music on the Good Vibrations box set, but not Fire. So, hmm. Like, we're never going to hear this. (laughs) Which is why it was kind of surprising when at the end of March 2001, when you and I were sitting in the audience of a TNT tribute to Brian Wilson Mm. at Radio City Music Hall. Well, first of all, when uh, they're talking about Brian's life and they get to the smile part and uh, Chaz Palminteri is talking about the centerpiece that was to be part of Smile. And what a beautiful piece of music it was. And I'm thinking, okay, the centerpiece, it's got to be Heroes and Villains because it's kind of a song cycle and you have Heroes and Villains themes coming in and out. Mm -hmm. And then they go on and they play Surf's Up. And just the way they performed it, I got paralyzed and you told me that my jaw was open the whole time Mm -hmm. and that a fly could have flown in my mouth and I wouldn't have even noticed. we all were like that. And then Brian comes out after a while, after they go through his whole life story and everything, Brian comes out, and uh, when they're getting ready to perform something, he says, here we go with Heroes and Villains. And uh, my first thought was, that's a weird one to open with, isn't it? I mean, it never crossed my mind that Heroes and Villains, Brian specifically said, or at least it was said on his behalf, on the famous blue board on brianwilson.com, that he would never perform that in concert. Because somebody Mm -hmm. said, I'd love to hear Heroes and Villains. And either Brian or somebody speaking on his behalf using his account responded and said, well, you're going to be let down or something like that. Yeah, It didn't occur to me. I I think it's because it was so unexpected. But then when he started singing it, I remember you and I screamed at the top of our lungs like little girls. Well, And as I like to say that I ripped the sleeve right off your cashmere sweater. <laughs> I did. You, I you didn't, did of course. You did not, literally, because I, I still have that sweater intact. I didn't, of course, but it was like, you think uh, how it is in a cartoon. <laughs> Just, like a Tex Avery cartoon. Like, ah! <laughs> I mean, what got me so much is that up until that point, when you know we had already seen Brian on tour several times, also like on TV appearances and things like that, and there were times that he had missed words or yeah. was a little off key. I, we were used to that. But this performance, he did not miss a note, did not miss a word. And at the end, near the end, when he's going, na, 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 na. I mean, he is looking dead straight into the camera. Yep. No deer in the headlights. 
This man was confident. Yeah, we were there. That was not done in post. No. Like, they, I don't think they did anything to Brian's performance yeah, on that. what you see on the broadcast is exactly what we saw live. And then the, the following tour, when he teamed up with Paul Simon, and uh, they included Our Prayer, Heroes and Villains, and Surf's Up, undoubtedly because it was performed during the TNT tribute, and it was about to air on July 4th weekend, and it was probably a teaser for that. That's probably why they included Though it. Though I believe we saw Brian long after. I think it was later that well, summer. Okay, that's, okay, it might have been. But also the DVD was coming out, too. That I don't think the DVD was but out then yet. But the next year... Well, before we even get into that, the whole reason behind that was going back to probably, I'm guessing, New Year's Eve 2000 into 2001. It was a New Year's Eve party at, uh, I believe, Scott Bennett's apartment. And Brian and Melinda were there along with a whole bunch of other people. And Scott had a piano or some kind of keyboard in his apartment. And Brian is known to go straight over to the piano if there is one and just hang out there and just play stuff and just kind of tinker around with it. Because that, that's what he that's what he does. That's the kind of person he is. And Scott flat out told him, look, Brian, if you want to go ahead and futz around on the piano, go right ahead. You're certainly welcome to. And while he was doing that, someone walked over to him and said, hey, Brian, could you do Heroes and Villains? And he said, really? You want to hear that? Well, all right. And that's when he started singing it and playing it, which attracted a huge crowd of people rushing over to him and saying, is this really happening? There were probably people who weren't even at the party. Like they yeah. just, like cars came to screeching halt in front of the building and people running in <laughs> from all over Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the, all of Sherman Oaks just yeah. raced over there. <laughs> and then Melinda, and the word is Melinda said to Brian, why don't you do that at the TNT tribute? And he said, okay. <laughs> so there we go. And he, I guess it was then that he realized people like this. Well, we know going back to when the first tour started that Melinda had been meeting fans, talking to fans, seeing how people felt, hearing people's stories of, what Brian's music meant to them. And from what I understand, she was like, Brian has to be exposed to this. Brian has to go in front of people and do this and see how much people care about him and his music. And that's kind of how the touring started. Sure. And yeah, we had some smile stuff in 2001. And then in 2002, when we saw Brian at uh, the House of Blues in Chicago, they had put in um, Cabin Essence. Yes. And they also had Wonderful. Yeah, they did verse one of Wonderful and kind of seamlessly transitioned into Cabin Essence. Mm -hmm. So there were, there were other little pieces of smile eking their way into the concerts. I remember they were billing that tour, at least the first show, which I think was at the uh, Roxy in Hollywood, mm -hmm. or wherever it is in Los Angeles. Well, I think it, was, Hollywood. it was the prep for their first big foray well, into England. They were claiming it was prep for the Queen's Jubilee, and of course mm -hmm. they did not do those songs at the Queen's Jubilee. No. But, you know. but before we go any further, let's, uh -oh. let's kind of rewind a little bit back into the dark ages that, as we've discussed before, how in the 90s, the fans didn't really have much beyond the bootlegs. Yep. And I mean, Smile has become one of the most bootlegged pieces of work ever. Oh, yeah. 
it reached this legendary status, or as Sir George Martin would say, legendary. Yes. <laughs> and it was something that was not just in the fan community of just regular people going about their life. People in the industry knew about it and had bootlegs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, there, this was not a huge secret. This was not some kind of secret society. Everybody knew about this. And the bootlegs really started coming about in full force in, I believe, what was the late 80s? Late 80s, early 90s-ish. Like I, th when they I were think starting the big floodgates started the early 90s. Yeah, when they were preparing the Good Vibrations box set. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. And of course, just to show you the level of industry, Darian Sahanaja, Brian's keyboard player, main keyboard player and main a lot of things, is thanked in the Good Vibrations box set. Apparently, the reason he was thanked in there is because he's the one who provided wonderful, <laughs> courtesy of somebody he worked with, I think. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. It's just something that I kind of heard secondhand. I was like, wait, what? Darian is thanked in there? Why is he thanked in here? There have been bits and pieces and things that were collected over the years. And I mean, I first became aware of Smile probably when I'm going back to reading the Byron Price book when I was a kid. Wow. I mean, it had to have been discussed in there. I mean, I have the book right below my left hand. I could look it up, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> but I think that's when I first became aware of it. And it's talked about a little bit in the uh, American Band documentary. Yes. And then when I first got my CD player in 1990 and started buying a lot of CDs, I remember there was a store in Ocean Township. I, it may have been long gone by the time you moved to Jersey. I don't remember a record store being in Ocean Township. Yeah, I mean, well, it wasn't a record store. It was a CD store. <laughs> Because, you know, by 1990, yeah, nobody yeah. bought records anymore. <laughs> Those were passe. They were on their way out, as yep. we all thought. Yep. <laughs> we were so wrong. Thank um, God. But I remember going to this store, and there was a CD called Smile. And I mean, I didn't know that bootlegs were a thing. <laughs> I really didn't. I did not know that they were homemade. And yes, the, I well, I shouldn't make it sound like that, because some of them are put together with a great deal of professionalism and high quality printing and processing, depending on what people have access to. But I had no idea that this was a thing. I thought, oh, somebody put out a Smile CD. It didn't have Capitol Records logo or anything mm -hmm. on it. And I came to realize later that it's not a very good smile bootleg, <laughs> but it was a way to at least hear some of the stuff that I had merely just read about. And then when I got involved with the internet fan community a few years later, that's when I really started to learn about the Vigatone set and Dave Procopi smile tapes and all the different boots that were out there and highly regarded. And uh, just for disclaimer's sake, number one, this was in the 90s, so we're way, way past the five-year statute of limitations. <laughs> and number two, you really weren't into bootlegs at all. No, you, you no. Weren't. I, you weren't. You were like, I, I'm not that much of a fan. Well, I just- Well, you were, but not to the point where you are going to spend gobs of money on Dutch imports. Well, like I said, I didn't really even know what boots were and how to get them. And like, I didn't even know about- 
like say the whole Grateful Dead concert taping society. (laughs) And like, I just wasn't knowledgeable about that. Even when I did start learning about it, I didn't really even know like, oh, where do you go to buy these things? Like, I mean, I came to learn as time went on that pretty much an independently owned store would often have boots. Of course, you're not you're not going to go into the Sam Goody at the mall and find them, but you can go into independently owned stores and they might have them or if you know who to ask. (laughs) Or of course, at Beetle Fest. You know, yeah, there Beetle were ways. Fest, like some <laughs> Beetle Fest, sometimes somebody would hand you a post-it note with a room number written on it. Yeah, they would have like their their hotel room would be like a bootleg <laughs> showroom. They'd have like three TVs set up with videotapes playing on all of them, and the beds covered in videotapes and CDs and things. Really nice setups. Or of course, there would be in the marketplace the cardboard box under the table. Yep, yep. I've, <laughs> I saw many of those, but. That anyway. wasn't really my scene, but that was your scene. So again, this we disclaim this was a long time ago, well past the five year statute of limitations. So. But my first knowledge of Smile actually came well after I got familiar with Smiley Smile because I found I had heard of Smiley Smile because on VH1's My Generation with Peyton Noon, he oh, would show Lord. that Ed Sullivan clip all the time, and he said and that's good vibrations from Smiley Smile. And I said, smiley smile. I never heard of that album. I guess, okay, I guess it's not on Pet Sounds. I hadn't heard Pet Sounds either yet. But when we were on vacation in Clearwater Beach, Florida, my family, my mom, my, my parents and I, my dad and I went over to Turtle Records while my mom was across the plaza doing something else. And I saw a tape of Smiley Smile. I saw a cassette of it. I said, holy cow, holy cow. I didn't know that this was out. I thought it was like long out of print. But I bought it. And I got to tell you, I loved it. I loved it because... I knew nothing about Smile. <laughs> I never heard of it. And I just thought simply it was a goofy album. A goof- It was basically, to me, Beach Boys Party with a lot of drugs. That's what <laughs> Smiley Smile was to me. And I loved it. I thought it was the biggest hoot in the world, which is probably why I really, after I fi- eventually learned what Smile was, I don't look at Smiley Smile as a sad... Um, Mildew. <laughs> a sa- uh, well, that's getting hungry, according yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah. I don't look at smiley sounds, smile. Yeah, getting hungry is what, just to me, it's what growing mildew sounds like. But I, didn't, I never, I didn't look at smile as a, this depressing, oh, because smile didn't happen, this is what happened instead. I did for a short time. For a short time, I did. But I just remember thumbing through a book. I don't remember if it was a Beach Boys, but it probably wasn't a Beach Boys book. I was at a bookstore and I was flipping through a book and it was talking about the Beach Boys ill-fated Smile album that never came out. I was like, what are you talking about? I have Smiley Smile. Because a lot of times you'll see albums referred to by shortened names, like sometimes, like instead of Smiley Smile, maybe they're just calling it Smile because it's short. But I thought that's probably what the context was. But I was like, this, oh, author, no. I was oh, like, this oh, author doesn't know what he's talking no, about. No, 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 no. But yeah, I just remember those days when we were kind of guessing a lot of things, when people thought that I'm in great shape was the mama says portion of vegetables. Well, you also had Look, Listen, Vibrate, Smile by Dominic Priori, which I believe was published early 2000s or late 90s. I got that book at Barnes and Noble the night I graduated college in 1996. Oh, okay. So way before that. And I think that that was a second edition too. And- there's an extensive section that tries to 
piece together what tracks were going by various names on various bootlegs or sometimes bootlegs mislabeled tracks. Sometimes there were tracks on bootlegs that weren't smile sessions at all or weren't even the Beach Boys. <laughs> well, yeah, the famous one is the one that was listed, I think, as Holidays or either Holidays or Tones. But it was actually Here Come the Honey Man by Miles Davis. Yeah, it's like, huh? <laughs> and it turns out that that was kind of a um, copyright trap in a way. Yeah. It was put there intentionally by whoever, I don't remember who, I don't know if I ever knew who the person was who had access to the archive, who stuck that on there as kind of a giveaway in case something ever got out and got copied all over the place. Mm-hmm. They could trace it right back to that person. It's like, hey, that's my bootleg. <laughs> that always made me laugh when people would try to have ownership of their bootleg material or it's like, dude, yeah. you don't own any of no, this. No, no, no. What are you trying to claim ownership of? And the Paley sessions, when those things first came out in the mid nineties on bootlegs, there were two different versions that were watermarked like that. So that I don't know who it was who had access to that stuff, but they could pinpoint exactly the names of the people Mm -hmm. who, and I heard the names of the people who leaked them. So (laughs) uh, I'm not going to say who it was. No, 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 no. There were endless discussions and debates of proposed track listings. That is still happening. (laughs) How these things would be all pieced together, whether tracks were completed as we heard what we had access to, or were they still works in progress, or just even, say, with the track um, Trombone Dixie that we got on the Pet Sound Sessions, that was pretty much Brian doing a dump of different sounds and things that were going through his head that we eventually, bits and pieces, ended up in other tracks. So were some of the smile tracks just something like that, where Brian laid it down because he didn't know what to do with it, but wanted it on tape so that he could access it later. And there were even the, um, oh, what was it? The, was it the Smile Shop where people uploaded things that you could go in and play with the different tracks? Oh, or, I don't know. Or there was, there, I think there was a CD-ROM that had Smile things where the people Smile could, Research Lab. Yes, that's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, where people could have access to good quality versions and play with it and make their own track listings. I mean, there was, it was a huge creative discussion and people, yeah. sometimes it ended up in literal bar fights because <laughs> <laughs> people had very strong opinions about what smile would be. And this went on for several years. And it's still going on. There are still people putting together their yeah, own well, custom smiles. Yeah, well. And the thing is, I just want to say right now, we do not have a custom smile that we're going to talk about. No, 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 I no, used no. to, before you 2004, did. I did have one or two possible lineups. And just like most other people, it started with our prayer and ended with um, Surf's Up. Surf's Up. Mm-hmm. Because everybody wanted that a day in the life stunning ending at well, the end. Well, also the theories were... As far as we knew, Smile was going to be a single album. It wasn't a double album. Albums have two sides. And you're going to have side one and side two. So the belief was that side one or one side would be an Americana suite and the other side would be the elements. Yes. 
we didn't know really what they, I mean, we only had a slight idea of what they definitely would consist of. But We knew what fire was going to consist <laughs> well, of. Well, yeah, but we didn't really know all of what would be in the elements. We didn't know what else would be on that side. There were a lot of theories of what would fit in with the elements. So this went on for quite some time. I just want to say this, that part of the theories were based on official documentation. For example, the Frank Holmes artwork. Well, yeah. Where it would say, uh, the elements apostrophe, my vegetables, or, or the other way around. So it's like, okay, vegetables is supposed well, to be part of the You're talking about elements. the booklet artwork. Yeah. Yeah. And there was um, the, I think it was the Warner Brothers Best of compilation that spanned from uh, 66 to, I think, Sail on Sailor. It actually said on the label, good vibrations, and then in parentheses, from the air. Oh. And uh, there was so another one. <laughs> I don't remember what. might have been vegetables from the earth or something. So that probably led to a lot of aha moments. But there was still a lot of where we did not have definitive answers. Then 2003 happened. Yeah. What happened in 2003? I remember it, what happened. It was sometime in the spring. Now, this is going by memory. So some of this might be a little bit inaccurate, but this is what I can remember. Apparently, Jeffrey Foskett and Billy Hinchy were doing a gig somewhere, and between songs, Jeff said, By the way, I've been tasked with selecting 30 minutes worth of smile music for Brian to perform in some kind of coherent way for an upcoming tour. And of course, oh, oh the, <laughs> the chatter online about that, and we got to see... It's like, wait, what? <laughs> and by the way, I... Back when this happened, I got permission to talk about this. So the person who, who was responsible for this told everybody, okay, it's free. you can talk about anything that happened this day. We got to see Jeff perform in a, a literally a private concert in a living room, and he was answering a lot of questions. This is shortly after he kind of spilled the beans in that Billy Hinchy gig, but people were asking Jeff, tell us about Smile. What about this? And he said... Let's just leave Smile the mystery that Brian left it. In other words, <laughs> Jeff got a phone call yeah, in the middle of the night saying, we, you'd better not. <laughs> yeah, we think he might have spilled the beans a little bit too yeah. early. Then someone else asked something else Smile-related. He said, okay, let me make this perfectly clear. Anything you ask me that has to do with Smile, I'm going to answer by saying, let's just keep Smile mm -hmm. the mystery that Brian left it. In other words, he's pleading the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember also that time they were, Brian's people were just going on and on about how he's going to do smile, smile, this smile, that we're scheduling shows for February in London. And uh, meanwhile, fans accident, literally accidentally found out that they were doing a very short mini tour in the Northeast, just a couple of weeks from then. And I was just flummoxed that I think what I said back then was, here they are talking about this smile tour they think is going to happen nine months from now as if it were the second coming of Christ, yet they have concerts that are days away that they have said squat about that somebody actually found out about when they stumbled on their radio station's website. And they're like, what? There's a Brian concert coming up? And not only that... But for some reason, some people got it into their heads that that little mini tour, the Northeast, uh, Northeastern United States, that is, back in 2003, 
was supposed to be a practice run for the smile shows. So people walked away from those saying, wait, Brian didn't do any smile stuff. What the hell? But I I don't remember any word at all about those being smile shows. Well, kind of going back a little bit, you were just saying about them putting uh, tickets on sale for London. Now, these tickets went on sale because I, I forget how many nights. It was, I think, what, a six-night engagement at the Royal Festival Hall? Ish. And for February of the following year. Yeah. So the tickets went on sale almost a year in advance. I mean, how often do you hear of that happening? Tickets yeah. going on sale that far in advance. And I know a fan friend of ours, actually, when he received his tickets, he actually nailed them to his kitchen wall. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps to make sure he didn't lose them or just that he wanted to look at them every day <laughs> because he couldn't believe this was happening. Yep. And my guess for that is that they got those shows on the books and got the tickets on sale to perhaps maybe make this real to Brian. Like this is happening. Oh, I people am sure are buying that's what, what, people what it was. are buying plane tickets. As you can see in the beautiful Dreamer documentary where there's yep. a montage of people yeah, saying where they that. came from. People came from all over the world. For this thing, yeah, to go to London, there are people. There was uh, someone we actually met before, Andrew in South Africa. Uh, there are people from LA flying all the way over to freaking England to see this. We could have gone, but I was in student teaching, and I couldn't miss more than two days. There's no way. I, I, I will gone. tell you this: I would have said, "No, we're not going," and I'll <laughs> tell you exactly why, and you probably know why. I spent the next nine months telling people. You're really dumb, aren't you? You're you're fools. <laughs> well, you are yeah. fools. Well, neither of us thought because oh, some something we have not brought up yet in Tune X, but when in the early two thousands, when we still lived in New Jersey, there was a really good Chinese buffet that we used to go to pretty frequently, like gr really great quality food. Oh, are you talking about the conversations? Yes, well, yeah, we mentioned that. We did. I don't remember yeah. us mentioning that. But That's anyway. because we recorded that thing like many months okay. ago. <laughs> but anyway, we went to we would go we would go to this Chinese buffet and get food and discuss Beatles topics, Beach Boys topics. Every at single length. time we were there, it just happened that we would. Oh, of course. Beatles and Beach Boys. And I mean, I remember sitting there with my wonton soup and whatever and insisting up and down and backwards and forwards that this was not going to happen, that these shows, there was no way it was going to be anything like what the fans were expecting. Yeah, come. I mean, come on. Brian has always said he's never going to finish. He's never going to revisit it ever. You're basically, you guys are basically calling Brian a liar by believing this is going to happen. And we, we were like, it's terrible to even expect Brian to yeah. revisit that time in his life because there are so many – oh, we we thought we knew everything. Yeah. And, and we were so wrong. Well, and not only that, but I had a theory that maybe Brian was going to do the smile stuff, but remember what we were told. This is what we were told repeatedly. 
it was going to be about 30 minutes worth of smile selections. Thinking like disc two of good vibrations. Yeah, because when you think about it, what was on disc two? You had uh, Cabin Essence, you had Heroes and Villains, uh, Surf's Up, Wonderful, Wind Chimes. Basically, the songs that you could definitively say. Our prayer. These are complete finished songs. Most of them had been put out in maybe a different version on other Beach Boys albums. But it's like, okay, here's the stuff we know is whole and intact, as opposed to things like Do You Like Worms or tracks that had- well, Even if you count that too, what what whether it was finished or not, even if you counted those. So yeah, we, we just didn't think anything. It's like, and yeah, people, disc two, and you add a couple of other songs there, that's your 30 minutes right there. So for this little mini tour, we went to- Brian's show at the Beacon in um, New York City. So it was what, June of 2003, I think? Yeah, it was right around his birthday. And they were selling t-shirts. And I know I have it somewhere. I just don't know where. But I bought this t-shirt because it said, smile coming soon to a face near you. I think that's what it said. I think so too. And I bought the shirt because I'm like, this is going to be a collector's item because this is all we're going to get. We're oh, never it's still gonna, a collector's item. <laughs> like, we're never going to have anything else ever. This is all we're going to get. And I remember <laughs> at that show, I saw a dude in the audience, like a f- close to the stage, I think. He didn't have a shirt on and he had a fire helmet on. <laughs> I was like, yeah, nice try, guys. Yeah. But I remember at the end of the show, it was basically just greatest hits. And I should mention this also, the tour was kind of tacked on at the last minute because Brian was out east getting his honorary doctorate, I believe. Yeah. From, and they threw uh, on a couple of shows to go Northeastern with Northeastern University in Boston. Yeah. So it was basically just a, a hits show and maybe one or two off the beaten track, Pat off the beaten path songs. (laughs) And I remember Brian said something over the microphone before he left the stage at the end of the show. And I thought I heard the word smile come out of his mouth. And I was like, what did he just say? Because the acoustics sucked at the beacon beacon until they got, yeah, when they, they, it's better now, it it is better, but it, it was bad. (laughs) But yeah, 1999, 2003, it it was all a big aural blob. Yeah. And um, I asked some people who were at the show later on, I said, do you remember what Brian said over the microphone? And a couple of people said, yeah. He said, next time I'm in New York, I'm going to do Smile. (laughs) Really? He actually said that? It's like we were afraid to believe because we just did not think this was going to happen. Yeah. And if it did happen, it would be just two of good vibrations and fire would be a candle. Of course, talking about this in 2021, looking back on it, I'm thinking... God, we were dense because even Brian just uttering the word smile should have tipped us that maybe this is going to happen. Sure. So we went on with our lives. And in (laughs) February of 2004, the shows were never canceled. The shows were never canceled. People went to England People we knew went to England and, and I was just, I was getting popcorn ready so I could read the comments about the show that didn't happen so I could laugh at everybody. And February 20th happened and the show went on. And the reviews came in. The re- yeah. The reviews, I mean, people were like, gah. <laughs> and I remember, I think the biggest surprise, I think a lot of people agree about this. The biggest surprise was that every single piece of music had vocals. Yeah. Which we weren't used to from, Well, yeah, you know. because 
I guess, what, about 50% of the Smile material that we knew of was just instrumental tracks. Instrumentals with maybe some raw vocals, like skeletal vocals. And then was it the next day that the concert recordings started to get uploaded? Here's the thing. I seem to remember it took a while before people's little clandestine recordings started getting out. Because I even remember posting, okay, where are they? Come on, people. And uh, people are saying, oh, shut shut up. Settle down. Just they'll come yeah, when they come. Yeah, we're talking about 2004. Most people really didn't have access to high upload speeds or <laughs> things like yeah. that yet. Yeah, and even then. And uh, by the way, um, flashing back to an earlier episode, uh, there was a little piece that we had to cut out due to time talking about our experience listening to the first leaked recording and um, once again, I disclaim this was more than five years ago, well past the statute of limitations. <laughs> so uh, here, let's uh, flash back to that and hear what yeah. we had to say. But really, the big thing, the big, you know, kettle drum roll here oh. was smile. And you have to just say, you have to say, smile. Well, if I do that, then I'm it... going to sound like the guy from Creators at Carnegie on NPR. Smile! <laughs> Well, because first you had the release of Brian's completion of Smile in 2004. Yes. um, After premiering it to great ovation that I think is still going on. Oh, yeah. They're they're uh, still at the Royal Festival Hall. They're still... They sat through all the other concerts he's done in the past 16 years there. Um, Just... Oh, I have to just pause for a moment. (laughs) No, I just still remember sitting on the floor next to you at your computer, like finding the first uh, audience recordings that were posted. And what were we most afraid of? That that fire would be a candle. That if fire would be a candle, if at all. And it wasn't. It was exactly what we wanted it to be. I remember two things that you said during that listening we had. You were sitting cross-legged by my computer desk, my Amiga 4000. Oh. And I remember during On a Holiday which we still knew as holidays, Mm -hmm. during Nick's little spoken part, you said he definitely said something about a calliope. (laughs) We found out, of course, that's not true at all. And then after it was all over, I remember you said, and I quote, holy f***ing Well, what else could you say? (laughs) I mean, it was a work with a capital W. And it was three movements, which none of us had ever- None of us had ever speculated that because, of course, we were thinking album sides. And, of course, we were people thinking wanted, in even numbers. Yeah, and people wanted that a day in the life ending and put surfs up at the end of it. That's no, not how it ended no, up, though. No, it ends with good vibrations. Of course it does. It all makes sense. It all made perfect sense. So we had that, and the CD came out in... Um, September. September 28th, 2004. I remember that date in September very well. It was a Tuesday. I remember the exact date. It was pouring rain. It was pouring rain. We each bought our own copies because neither of us wanted to wait for the other (laughs) to get home from work. I could not hear it on my way to work because the rain was so freaking loud. Where did you get yours? Target. Okay. Target in Ocean Township, New Jersey. I bought mine at Walmart because I had a Walmart gift card. I didn't know you went to Walmart. Yeah. Because, like, I think the Walmart Neptune had just opened and it was on my way. Oh, that's right. Because that I, was, you had your first teaching job. I had then. a Walmart gift card. That's so right. I went you weren't there. at ATT anymore. And, um, 
yeah, yeah, we didn't want to wait like three hours until we got home. <laughs> I, I just remember going to Target. They didn't have it out, but I found someone in a red shirt and I said, hey, could you, would you mind checking the back for, for this thing? And he, he said, yeah, sure. And he came out and he handed it over to me. And I just said, oh my God, this this is real. Yeah. I said, do you know what this is? <laughs> I, I really, I, I said, do you know how monumental this is? This has been in the works for 37 years and it's finally here. And he's like, So, well, talk about the brilliance of the packaging. The packaging was obviously based on the Vigatone bootleg packaging. (laughs) I showed you it. It's a slip case with a booklet. And then the CD in the jewel case inside. And the the liner in the jewel case is just a simple single sheet, just like a typical Vigatone bootleg. And I showed, I bought this thing 24 years ago, so it's well past the statute of limitations, FBI. I still have a bootleg Vigatone disc that I bought at Beetlefest, and I kept it because Astrid Kirscher autographed it. And I showed you, yes. I said, here's what yeah. a typical Vigatone bootleg but looks like. Now, do that, you agree with me that I that's mean, what they were doing? Just like the tip of the cap, because, and if you look in the booklet, in the second to last page, there's a picture of Brian with... Louie, his dog, Mm. and there's a dedication to the fans because that's why any of this happened because there was such interest among the fans. I mean, if this had, if these tracks had just stayed in the vaults and nobody ever knew of them, who knows what Brian would have done if he ever would have, but that may have been the push that he needed because it was communicated to him probably from a number of people, starting with Darian Sahanaja. Yeah. <laughs> that people loved this music. People were listening to this music. People in the industry owned copies of the bootlegs. I mean, there was great interest in this music. And I don't remember where I heard this, but when Brian started really doing stuff again, beginning with imagination and doing meet and greets. And when they started him touring, Melinda spent time talking to fans and hearing their stories, including mine, because I got to tell her at Tower Records in 1998. Melinda heard these things and knew that Brian had to know this stuff. Yep. That Brian had to know that people cared about this music, that people were spending hours and days and weeks on internet forums endlessly debating and making their own track lists and their own mixes. And it was a thing. And that's why it happened. Brian probably never would have done it otherwise. So now that we're flashing back, let's flash back again to something that we had to cut for time from our feel flows discussion. Oh, right. Okay. Even with the smile sessions, this is partly me because back in the bootleg collecting days, the smile stuff was never my favorite stuff because I I just couldn't get into it because Brian just sounded unsure. He sounded like he didn't know what he wanted to do. But with the smile sessions, the official box set in 2011... It doesn't sound like that at all, all of a sudden. It's like, even even when you had some of the stuff on bootlegs that was in almost as good sound quality, somehow it sounds more positive on uh, the Smile Sessions. Well, sure, because that might just be as simply that you're hearing it in 
far better quality because some Not of those that much better yeah, quality. but some of those smile bootlegs sounded like mud some of them did yeah and, the earlier ones did and, and including even, the vigatone ones i don't know why people said that was the best one it sounded like garbage and even some boots that were better quality it's not going to be remastered 2011 that quality. That is absolutely true. So it true. was going to be much more sparkly and bright. Also, too, when you're kind of hearing a full range of different takes and things like that, and hearing Brian working, we know that Brian is often portrayed starting in that time as being strung out and stoned all the time and where he wasn't. I yeah. mean, this was a man who was, he was still working. And I mean, yeah, he had, he had times where the vibes weren't right. And sure. <laughs> he'd call a session at 2 a.m. and then stand there for 45 minutes before making everybody leave. But I mean, that's not what every day was like. No. And I remember when Carol Kay was participating either in PSML or one of the news groups or something. She said that even during the smile sessions, Brian was pretty insistent that everybody have a clear head. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Brian and, ever worked stoned or high I'm, I'm or I'm not going to incriminate anybody by naming names, but there was somebody who responded to that by mailing her a copy of a tape set that had a recording of the Our Prayer session when Brian said, Danny, do you have any hash joints left? I know you do. And <laughs> you guys feeling the acid yet? Just to see what she had to say about that. I don't know well, if- but, Again, you know, that but that was a been, different thing, though. Well, also, it was a rehearsal and it was vocals, so yeah, that might so have been Carol something K, different. Carol Kane wouldn't have even been there. Yeah, yeah. And judging I mean, from the session, the Vasi Posse was there, so well, that might be well, why. Yeah, when Brian was doing a session with the musicians, these were all professionals. Yes. These were wrecking crew people. These were union people. These were people who had like homes and families and all of this stuff. Brian was not going to screw around. Yeah. And he was definitely not going to get high in front of Hal Blaine and, <laughs> you know, Julius Wechter and all those other great people. And of course, Sid Sharp. I mean, Brian, I think, knew to be very, very professional. Whereas around the Beach Boys, the Vossi Posse, all those other, you know, basically if it was, family. Really. If it was a vocal session, that's a different story. I'm not saying Brian wasn't professional in no, doing course. vocal sessions, but and again, that was one time. That was one. That time, may yeah. have been one, kind of like how the Beatles did one session on acid and were like, Ugh. yeah, they heard it, heard it back. <laughs> like, yeah, we can't do that. And again. I mean, and hey, we've sung our prayer. Maybe yep. being high helps. <laughs> Especially that, with that alto part. Because that shit is hard. <laughs> My bass part's pretty easy, actually. Yeah, well, I've sung the alto part. Yeah, that's, that is that's, a weird part. Yeah. Are all alto parts weird? Or yes. It, okay, all right. <laughs> wow off that tangent wow but like i was saying like the smile stuff was never really my favorite beach boys session stuff to listen to i preferred the party stuff because it was so much fun ah those were the days weren't they and uh, one thing i do remember back then like the it wasn't the first show that was the one everybody was going crazy for it was the uh it was, I think, February 22nd, the one that we always, between us, referred to as Ninth Row Center, <laughs> because somebody was sitting in the Ninth Row Center and got a really good recording yeah. of it. But that that was just something, and your little three-word 
review after we finished listening to it. Which was? Holy f***ing Well, yeah, I mean, what else can you say? And, I mean, what really was kind of the most mind-blowing thing is that we were all wrong. All these discussions that we had had over the years to kind of show that maybe Smile wasn't meant to come out in 1967. Yep. Because Smile had three movements, not two. What did Brian say to Larry King when Larry King asked him about Smile and it was finally finished and he said, what was missing all these years? The third movement. A third movement. (laughs) Yeah, because you had, we had the Americana piece, we had the Elements piece, but then there was also Child is the Father of the Man Ah. that begins with Wonderful and ends with Surf's Up. (sighs) It's like, of course. And that's once my we, favorite part of the And whole once thing. we heard the whole thing, it's like, of course that's how it would be. And it makes sense. But you would think about it that Brian had to wait for CD technology to come about where you could have a continuous 80-minute space mm. that didn't have to be divided between sides. Yeah. And he also had to wait for Darian Sahanaja to grow up yeah. to be his musical director. Yeah, right. <laughs> and help him with all of this. Yeah, and that's that's something else. People are like, well, it's not really Brian's smile because he had help with this and and it's probably Darian. Well, I'll tell you what, number one, I don't care who did this. Because it's freaking brilliant, okay? I don't care if freaking Gloria the housekeeper was in charge of the <laughs> whole thing. If it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Well, also if you look back in 1966-67, Brian had Van Dyke Parks. He had the Vossi Posse. Oh, yeah. He had all the people in the airport photo. Like He had Marilyn and Diane and the other Beach Boys. Yes. Brian didn't do things totally by himself. He needs a mess of help, help to, to stand, stand alone. alone. <laughs> Let's not get into that right now. But... But really, Brian always would bring other people in for whatever collaborative purposes he needed. And any production that Brian has ever done, I mean, maybe, you know, it's still produced by Brian Wilson, but he's still going to ask other people for their feedback. He's still going to take input from other people. Of course. So it's like Darian is yet another resource for him and who better if there's anybody who is a Mm -hmm. straight a smile student oh yeah it's freaking darian yeah the realization that we were wrong about so many things and how and how (laughs) like how holidays of course that would go right after wonderful like we never realized that how did i not know it's such (laughs) it's so smooth it work it fits perfectly how did i never know you know you you've known me we've been together 23, almost 24 years, you know that I have to be correct. Oh, yes. You know I like to be right. I have never been so happy to be wrong. Oh, my God. And then we got the Beautiful Dreamer documentary. Ah, yeah. And also something that I talked about in that little flashback we just had was how we had trouble listening to the actual album because it was raining so hard and I couldn't hear it in the car. Now... This is another complaint people have about Brian's smile. Well, it's not the Beach Boys, so it's not the same. It doesn't have that same feel. Let me tell you something. 
Because it was literally raining so hard on my way to work that I could not hear smile at all, even with my car stereo turned up all the way, I popped it into the office CD player at some point during the day. And after Good Vibrations ended, after the whole album ended, one of my coworkers turned to me and said, was this the Beach Boys the whole time? (laughs) So I rest my case. (laughs) I just want to throw in a little thing that I just, that just reminded me of. Remember at Christmas time when we were coming out to Chicago to visit your family? We were at O'Hare waiting for our flight to go back to New Jersey. And we thought we heard Smile. You said, if I didn't know any better, I'd swear I was hearing Song for Children right now. Yeah. And we realized the guy who was sitting with his back to us, you know, because the seats of there are two rows of seats that are back to back. (laughs) he was listening to smile and we could hear it from his headphones. Yeah. And I got his attention and I, I opened up my coat because I was wearing a smile shirt and I said, I just want to compliment you on your music. And he said, Oh my God, you can hear that. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for it to be so loud. Don't apologize. When we were packing for that trip, we grabbed the smile jewel case. That's right. And we didn't have the CD wasn't yeah. in there. When you opened it up to play it in the rental car, it's like, oh no, it's so not we there. were we were smileless because that was back when we still brought CDs. Yeah. I think that was <laughs> That was probably the last time we brought CDs. So well, really, I think that was probably just before we bought iPods. Yeah. That would have been like, yeah, around 2005-ish, I think, is when we got our first iPods? Probably, yeah. You got yours before I got mine. Yeah, so, I mean, to this day, in my phone, I have Smile. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like, I have Smile and Pet Sounds in case of an emergency. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I went a little haywire, put all my music on my phone. Yeah, well, that's because you're a nut. Yeah, even though I still use an iPod primarily when I'm... But, I mean, from that point on, we made sure that we always had smile on some kind of medium so that we would be able to listen to it. And we're just jumping all over the place because the other thing that I remember is a few days before the Smile album came out, NPR played the whole thing. I remember we tuned into the Brookdale NPR station at Brookdale Community College. And interestingly, the signal we picked up was a mono signal. So we heard smile and mono (laughs) the first time. But they were carrying it Brookdale Community College is not far from us, and they were actually carrying the feed from WNYC in New York. Oh, is that where WNYC is? Yes. Yeah, and that not that convenient? That is convenient. Um, Coincidence that the FCC assigned them call letters that happens to be there. But we got to hear Smile on the radio before it was released. So then we had those introductory concerts in the UK in the winter, and then they announced American dates. Did I not say we're going all over the place? This is awesome. <laughs> oh. So they announced American dates. And one of them was for Chicago. on My favorite place in the world. And on, I'm not kidding. On Saturday, October 2nd. Um, friends, Sunday, October 3rd that year was my 30th birthday. So yeah, it was kind of a given That we were going to go to that show. Yes. And especially because it was on a weekend and I had just started my first teaching job. 
Now, the closest show to where we lived was that they were do- he was doing two nights at Carnegie Hall, but those shows were on weeknights. I think it was a Tuesday and a Wednesday or so, something. Yeah. And I'm like, that's too much for me on a school night. We'll go to, we'll, we'll make a weekend in Chicago. Of course, sometime later, I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to miss Brian at Carnegie Hall? <laughs> no. So yeah, I we I bought tickets for that too. Yeah. The <laughs> I'm second, like, the I'm second like, night. By I'm the like, way. screw it. I'll, I'll call out if I have to. I I don't honestly. I don't remember if I if I called out sick the next day or if I just went to school very very tired and happy. But <laughs> yeah. And by the way, remember when the American dates were announced? Brian had already done two smile tours in Europe, mm-hmm. like with London and stuff. Yeah. I remember when they announced those American dates, some of the British blue borders like, Brian, don't forget us. It's like, it's like dude. dude, you had it twice already. <laughs> yeah. So the Chicago trip was very quick. We went, yeah. we came out here on a Saturday morning and went home Sunday afternoon. So we were we were in Chicago probably less than 20 or just a shade over 24 hours. But that trip was, it was amazing because every single thing was awesome. Like our flight, you know, the weather was perfect. Our flights were on time. We get to Chicago and I had booked us at a place called the Hotel Allegro, like a boutique hotel in the loop. We go to check in and at the front desk, <laughs> they said, they were like, oh, no, because they had had a group of people from, I think, like, Ralph Lauren or something. Yeah, that's right. And yes, they that's had, what it was. They had decided to stay longer than planned, and something went screwy in the computer system. It didn't see our reservation. So they basically didn't have a room for us. And the, the lady at the desk was like, just hold right here. I'll take care of this. She did some computer stuff, made, you know, was on the phone a bit. There's another boutique hotel that was in the same company, maybe like two or three blocks away called the Hotel Burnham. They put us up in a suite there for free (laughs) because of the inconvenience. She said it will be no charge. And she even like called over there and told them, to put a bottle of champagne in our room. Yep. And she was going to give us cab like she was going to Well, she handed us cash for cab. She yeah, said- she was she was going to Yeah, she said, "Here's money for a cab." And we're like, "It's like 3 blocks. We can walk. We only had carry-ons. I mean, it was no big deal." So we had a beautiful hotel suite for free. <laughs> we went to the Berghof for dinner and met up with some friends. And then a historical restaurant. Yes, a beautiful restaurant in the loop. And then we walked over to the auditorium theater. Do you remember what happened on the way over? Yeah, why don't you tell that? Yeah, this was great. We're heading over to the auditorium, and there's this uh, small crowd, like small crowd, like four or five like kids that had to be about seventeen. And they said, "You know where the auditorium theater is?" And we said, "Follow us." Like they were all these you know, like young Brianistas. And I think it was their first time seeing Brian too. Yeah, but that's the thing. They loved Smile. Like yeah. they they only knew of Smile. So we get to the Auditorium Theater, which is a gorgeous place. We go inside, and 
first thing we see is smile merch. That was sur- it. Still didn't cross my mind. I was like, <laughs> "Why is all this stuff here?" If Brian sees this, he's gonna freak. And then we walk into the theater itself, and we see right away a guy wearing a red plastic fire helmet. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, "Is this really happening?" And it was. And the show happened. And it wasn't just smile. On that tour, there was an acoustic set. Then they did like a neat little transition using "You're Welcome" to go into a electric set. Yeah, they were literally moving to their positions as they were singing. And then there was an intermission and then smile. Now, I had heard them perform Our Prayer. Mm -hmm. I had heard them perform Heroes and Villains. It's like, okay, I've heard this before. But then, dun, 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 dun. And it went into Do You Like Worms? Which, of course, now we know is called Roll Plymouth Rock. But it's like, I am hearing this performed live by Brian and his band. What really just hit me hard was when it went into the little music box, Heroes and Villains music box theme. And it's like, oh my God, this is happening. (laughs) This is real. We are here. (laughs) And then what another mind-blowing moment was before they played Fire during the intro part, the Swedes, the string and Stockholm, Stockholm string and horns. Yeah. They raise up the fire helmets and put them on. And it's like almost like a ceremony. And two of the horn players who were not going to be playing on fire, they put on fire helmets and mirrored sunglasses and were like unspooling a fire hose and kind of doing a little pantomime of being, you know, hipster firemen. Yeah. And, and it's like, We are hearing this in the place where the Great Chicago Fire happened. Like, literally a week before the anniversary. Yeah. But, like, that fire, that happened here. Yeah. That happened here. And, I mean, yes, we know now that... Mrs. O'Leary's cow is innocent, hashtag whatever. Yes, I know. Mrs. O'Leary was not milking her cow, and the cow did not knock over a lantern, so that is not how the fire started. I mean, we're saying this because we're recording this... In Chicago, just shortly after the 150th anniversary of the fire, and there's been constant little profiles on the news and in the newspaper. And yes, we have heard ad nauseum that the O'Leary family was not responsible for the start of the fire, but the fire did start in their barn. And that location, which is now the site of the Chicago Fire Academy, isn't that neat is only about maybe a mile or so away from the auditorium theater. So it's like to hear this music that was inspired by the Great Chicago Fire in the place with the hipster firemen, with Brian sitting right there. It's like, man, was that a lot to take in. (laughs) Yeah, and um, you weren't the only person who thought that was a lot to take. Well, maybe not so much that, but throughout the show, I remember during the first half of the show... The usher by us, she was having a good time. She was dancing and everything. And if you remember, Brian was very not the Brian that we knew that well, night. He was he very was, energetic and happy and, and cracking silly jokes. And really enjoying himself. It was a wonderful time to see Brian in yeah, concert. Yeah, absolutely. Like he would actually run to the front of the stage if he saw somebody with a camera and pose. Yeah, like with a real silly smile and on I heard, his face. And I heard the usher talking to someone else. She said, well, we don't allow flash photography, but 
Hey, he's okay with it, so yeah. whatever. And she was just dancing all over the place, really digging the show. But I remember during Mrs. O'Leary's Cow, I looked over to her and she was kind of just standing there with this, what the f***? Yeah. Look on her face. Well, it's she was like, "What is it's this a, stuff?" It's it's a it's very it's not what you expect from a Beach Boy. Yeah, and, and I remember Brian getting uh, during Mrs. O'Leary's cow. He got up from his keyboard. He walked over to the one of those like fake paper fires, put his hand over it, and then pulled it back and shook his hand <laughs> as if he got burnt, and went back to his keyboard. And- but it's. Brian was so on that whole was, show. That I remember Surfer Girl. I think that was the first song they did. Surfer Girl, when he sang his little solo part, his 1963 voice oh, yeah. came out. And I know I wasn't alone because everybody just went nuts at that line. Oh, man. So that show was amazing. And then about 10 days later, we hauled ass up to Carnegie Hall on a weeknight, which is no small feat no. in the New York area. And our seats were in... The first balcony that was basically overlooking, like kind of an overhang over the stage. It was so a really, we, were, we had really good We seats. were very, very close to the action. My first time in Carnegie Hall. Round and I mean, two. the acoustics in that place are stunning. I mean, that is a beautiful place to hear music. And it was sold out up to. I mean, I don't know how many balconies are in that joint, but it was... They sold out. The show. They was, sold out most of the dates I mean, that there sh- were people tour. sitting halfway up to heaven in that place. Yeah. And Van Dyke Parks was there. Yeah, we saw him walk in, too. Mm-hmm. He was, like, not David far Leaf, from us. We, we saw David. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think David Leaf was, like, in the next balcony over to us, because I, I remember seeing him either when we were... Going to our seats or when we were leaving. Oh, it was. I, we definitely saw him when we were leaving because he was right by the exits. And as people were leaving, it was almost like he had a reception line. Oh, yeah. Because as people were leaving, they were shaking his hand, patting him on the back, and everybody's saying, oh, good job on Beautiful Dreamer, David. And Because this was right yeah. after Beautiful yeah. Dreamer aired on, I think, Showtime. Yeah. I have some little video clips from the little, tiny, now ancient digital camera that I had. It was the first one I had that could take video clips. And so the quality isn't the greatest because I think that was what, like a three megapixel camera or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it takes mediocre video, but it's still pretty good pictures. I mean, it's and I mean, I'm glad that I have it because I mean, there were a couple things that I captured. Yeah, that's how long ago this was. I think I had I didn't even have a gig stick yet, <laughs> so so I couldn't. I didn't really record like entire songs. I just got like little clips here and there. So I got Nelson Bragg doing the percussion on uh, vegetables, which was practically like choreography. Oh, you were all about Nelson back then. Well, yeah, I mean, he was just just seeing him all the things he had to hit yep. and how like. A VW hubcap was part of his yep. his setup. I mean, just but I mean, when you listen to vegetables, all the different sounds happening there, and when they were doing Surfing USA during the encore, the Swedes who weren't, I, I don't think any of them were playing on that. So they all had run down to the front of the stage, and like one of them had a boogie board, yeah. and they were doing this little dance routine. <laughs> yeah, I think they ran it past Melinda at one point. They say, hey, can we do this? She's like, yeah, that's great. And, uh, I mean, there were a couple different clips that I got, but my favorite was <laughs> at the end of Good Vibrations, kind of near the end, and they're, they're not singing for a moment. 
Brian actually got up from his keyboard and danced for a moment. He did a little jig. It's like, because you realize he is playing a sold out show at Carnegie Hall and basically performing a three movement orchestral work. This kid from Hawthorne, California, <laughs> with no formal music training outside of high school band class. And the toy accordion. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't have formal music training when you're five. <laughs> and it's like, he did this. Holy <laughs> And I mean, that, yeah, I, I mean, whatever agony I may have had the next day having to go and teach children after being out so late, it was worth it. Oh, it was so worth it. And I, also, I remember that day when I was at work, I worked at a very silly environment. I'll just leave it at that. It's a long story, but we had plastic fire hats <laughs> that we would put on during emergency situations because like, hey, we're putting out a fire here. Like if a customer was pissed off or something. And I remember that day I said, hey, I'm going to borrow one of those fire hats. I'll bring it back tomorrow. And uh, someone said, why? I said, I, it's a long story. I'll, t I'll tell you some other time. And what was cool is those two Carnegie Hall shows were actually recorded by NPR. Like they yes. had sound trucks outside and they were recorded for a series called Creators at Carnegie, which I hope is still available. I think it is. I, I will search for that and put a link in the yeah, show notes. But to this day, we still make fun of the, the guy who did the smile. <laughs> smile. It's like the way he said it was so weird. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but I mean, if you want to hear a soundboard smile concert, that's your baby right there, and it sounds really I, good. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's most of the concert too. It's a good chunk of the opening set too. It's like the whole thing. One or two songs they left off, but all yeah. the smile is there, and with like some really good spoken yeah. interludes and information. I mean, it's it's a great listen if you've never listened to yeah. it. We highly recommend it. But it was nice to have that as a souvenir of being there and being, yeah. and being you know, being in that experience because that was that was such a night. Yeah. The only thing wrong with the Carnegie shows was that because of the way the theater is laid out there, those of you who went to some of the Smile shows, you probably remember there was a little video component to it. They couldn't do the video stuff yeah, there. Yeah, they couldn't project onto the wall or anything. And I seem to remember at the time, Melinda said that um, that was a concern that they raised to Brian. And they said, Brian, we're not going to be able to put those pictures up and the videos and all that. Do you want us to look for another venue? And, he's, <laughs> and he said, no, keep it at Carnegie. The the, the fact that it's Carnegie is uh, more yeah. important to I me. I really, yeah. <laughs> then we had... Two Smile shows in 2005. Oh. Well, if, well, actually, at first, there was only one. There was only one, and that was the only time I was ever sad at a concert. Yeah. And the reason I was sad, this was the Arts Center, the uh, Garden State Arts Center, 2005, Holmdale. August 12th, I believe. Yes. Because it was our friend David's birthday, and he was there with us. Mm -hmm. I was glad that he was there with us. Oh, yeah. And that was such an amazing show. So tight. The performances were fantastic. It was hot as Hades that day. It was day. very hot. And uh, there were two surprises that night. One of them was Johnny B. Good. They'd never done that before. And I thought, okay, that's a good idea because that's a song from the Beach Boys' only number one album that's not a compilation. Mm -hmm. And a song called Walking Down the Path of Life. Mm -hmm. where I was like, whoa, what's this? And I really dug it a lot. It was yeah, such that a was cool beautiful. song. 
And I yeah. was sad because it was we all, and I remember pet sounds that night. That tune sounded so freaking good and the drums and everything. And I remember watching Jeff sway with his guitar and playing the James Bond riff. And it's like, man, I am so sad that this is my last time I'm going to see this show. So right after I, it may have even been the next day, we came out to Chicago for our annual trip where we would visit Sean's family and spend some time in Chicago and go to Beetle Fest. We had taken the train, the metro train into the city because we didn't, I, I forget where we were going or why we didn't drive or if we just took metro because uh, we, we felt like we it. We just wanted to try it. And you yeah, know, my mother we, told us where to go and all yeah. this. So, and I think we were mostly going to stuff like in and near the loop. Yeah. So it was convenient. So yeah. we were on our way back and. We were on our phones because uh, I think that was before we had smartphones, yeah. but we did have phones where you could check email. Yes. And at the time, we were on the Pet Sounds mailing list, which was distributed via email. Yeah. And I was, and we were waiting for the train to take off. I'm checking my email and on the imagination list from Yahoo groups. Oh, okay. Was that's imagination? where I saw the magic yeah. words. So, so what had happened was yes. they had a show that was scheduled for the Clio Amphitheater in Michigan. And this venue very suddenly went out of business. It later reopened, but something terrible happened where they shut down immediately with almost no notice. Yeah. And they had to cancel all of the shows that they had scheduled and refund everybody's money and... Brian's band was scheduled to play there just like two days later, or a few days later. So when this happened, I guess Brian's people said, well, you know, we're, we're already out here. So let's seek out another venue. The Park West in Chicago <laughs> happened to be available. And, and it was our last night in Chicago that trip. Wasn't that during Beetlefest? It was during Beetlefest. Yeah. So the show was going to be on a Saturday night. And there was literally a day or two to promote it. The tickets were 60 bucks a head, and it was a general admission. It's a nightclub, so it wasn't like you were going to get reserved seats. You just bought your ticket. So it was promoted, like the newspapers mentioned it, WXRT and other radio stations promoted it. But I mean, they had a day to get the word out. And it did sell out. I think, I think the venue holds like 750 or a thousand people. It's not a very big place, but I know our, a friend of ours who lives out east ran and bought a plane ticket and came out yeah, here. I, I, <laughs> yeah, we, I, we, were, we went over to a bar to grab something to eat with a bunch of our friends. <laughs> I look up and there's Susan. I like, what are you doing here? Didn't I just see and, you a couple of weeks ago? And like some other people we know drove up from, from Missouri and it's like, all these people that we knew were there. And I, I got to tell this story. Yes, because, please do. Okay, know you know the story I'm yes. going to talk. We got to the venue really early, like super early, because we, we wanted to make sure we got there. We were able to park and everything. And there was already a line started consisting of one person, our friend Jeff. May he rest in peace. He sees us. Oh, Sean and Lisa, I saved you a spot in line. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, there were more people in line. There were like yeah. five or ten but people in line. Like but the first he was one. the very first. And so we're like, okay. And what was big relief was that nobody complained. Nobody said a word. Yeah. So like, oh, thank God. So we were the first people let in. Yeah. And like I said, it was general admission. So 
I saw the stage and I kept going until I stopped at the stage. (laughs) So we were sitting at Brian's feet. Yes. We were, okay, I am sitting here. I am stretching out my arm. The way my arm is stretched out, I would be touching Brian's keyboard stand. Yes. That's how close we, we were so close that we could hear Brian singing without the microphone. Yes, absolutely. Like we didn't need the microphone and the sound system because we could hear Brian's voice coming out of him. Yeah. That's how close we were. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. And it was just amazing that sitting around us were like a whole bunch of people we knew from all different yep. locations. Including our friend Dan, who now lives a block and a half away from us. And he was wearing a custom Dennis t-shirt. And at one point during the show, Brian noticed it and he pointed at Dan and just didn't say this, but he mouthed it. Where did you get that shirt? And I remember <laughs> Dan almost had to change his underwear. I mean, that so, was- oh my God, Brian noticed me. Getting that extra dose of smile Man, was such a gift. That it really and, was. And I mean, that show was amazing. And I am so thankful that- I publicly offer my thanks to whoever had to make that decision to close the Clio Theater. Yeah. And whoever was able to pick up you know, a Saturday night gig at- Sunday um, night. Or, oh, it was a Sunday? Yeah, it was Sunday. Oh, that's right. It was the last night of- Yeah. yeah we had to miss like Sunday night at Beetlefest, which is kind of the big finish when they have- this was worth it. All kinds of stuff going on. You know, it was worth it. It was definitely oh, worth yeah. it. But again, we are so fortunate. And and I mean, to have had all of these experiences when not even a decade earlier, all we had were bootlegs and internet discussions. Yeah. And man, just thinking, oh yeah, it wasn't uh, the art center show wasn't that the first time we heard guess i'm dumb booming out of the speakers there well i don't from know darian's pre-show cd i don't know about that i mean i, I like, just holy re- man that I sounds just, amazing over I these just speakers remember walking up the steps to go to the refreshment stand because i needed like a gatorade or something because it was so hot out and hearing guess i'm dumb and it sounded really really good <laughs> man that sounded fantastic and of course we had Beautiful Dreamer. We had the Smile DVD, which consisted of Beautiful Dreamer and a recent California concert that was made just for that DVD. And of course, we got to talk about the first night London performance of Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. Oh, seeing it on Beautiful Dreamer? Yeah, or that DVD. Yeah, what, that yeah. DVD. Your Darian looks like he's going to puke the whole time. Now, something that we, depending on when this episode comes out, we have either already discussed or will be discussing is the time that we got to talk to Darian briefly. And I mentioned that. I told him, as I said, man, no disrespect, man, but I love watching that segment and watching you getting ready to throw up seemingly. And he said... I felt like that the whole show. It wasn't just that one part. But the cool thing <laughs> is, you can see Bob Lizick kind of like look over at some other band members. Like they, they were all that, looking a little bit apprehensive when they but, were about to start Mrs. But the O'Leary's fact Cow. Is Brian is sitting there with his eyes closed, kind of swaying and moving his arms. Like he was digging it. And it's like. And Bob, Bob notices. Bob's almost like, okay. This is okay. Brian's digging it. Like, we're all right. <laughs> He's not going to scream and run away. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Darian still hasn't looked up. He's just staring straight down. He doesn't want to see what's going on. <laughs> Poor yeah. guy. So then a few years later, 
we got the Smile box set. Yeah. And, I, and we've already talked yeah. about that. Yeah, we did. And Mark Lynette saying that you could use that to roll your own. <laughs> and this is something else that I just thought about how, yeah, I'm not going to do my own custom smile because, well, we now have a finished cohesive piece of work that doesn't need to be futzed with anymore. But even that wasn't the final word because you probably remember the first part of the smile sessions was an assembly of smile that followed the 2004 Brian Wilson model. Yeah. But it had, I'm in great shape moved up to the first suite in the heroes and villains part Mm -hmm. as per Brian, Brian did that. So even he wasn't yet done with it. He's still tinkering with it in 2011. Well, it might also be too, that he is just, I mean, again, people always think that, the object of their affection is going to remember every detail from decades earlier. That is I seldom mean, the case I mean, with anybody. I mean, it's kind of like, I love the um, the Star Trek convention sketch from when William Shatner hosted <laughs> Saturday Night Live in 1986, when somebody dressed up like Mr. Spock or something is asking him, what was the combination that you used to open the safe in this episode? And and William Shatner just goes on this rant, like, why would I remember that? This was that was 20 years ago. And, she, and, and but it's like fans expect, well, you were there. You should it's like, yeah, do you remember everything that happened in your yeah. life? No. So I think with the smile things, it might be a matter of maybe things kind of came back to Brian or in working through things, it's like, oh yeah, I was gonna do that. Or I mean but the smile material, he may have had all different ideas that maybe were good, that maybe weren't. And I mean, the smile that Brian finished in 2004 is not necessarily what he would have put out in 1967. We have no way of knowing. He has no way of knowing. But it's like you have to say, well, here is what he did. And that's it. And even if it was in writing, here's here's what I intended here. If you have it on tape from those sessions, he was constantly changing his mind. Well, which yeah. is one re- probably one reason the damn thing never got finished because he never knew where what was going where. Well, he kept changing his mind. His uh, production technique kept evolving and changing. Well, it's also that, I mean, when he did Pet Sounds, he was in a much more solid work ethic. And I'm not going to say, oh, it was because he was doing LSD or smoking too much weed. Yeah, that could have been part of it, but not necessarily. I'm not saying, I'm not just going to sit back and blame, oh, terrible drugs. He should have just said no and listened to, well, it was years before Nancy Reagan, but you know, (laughs) like, I mean, I'm not going to be righteous like that because we know for a fact that LSD is what we can, you know, we can thank the dreaded lysergic for California girls. LSD has been proven in controlled situations, in controlled amounts, to actually be extremely beneficial towards creative development. Of course, the problem is Brian was not in a situation of No, he wasn't being guided by a psychologist. He didn't have a proper trip sitter. Yeah. So, I mean... (laughs) But yeah, I'm not going to just say, oh, it's, you yeah. know, Brian was well, taking too much drugs. I mean, and it's not because of 
Marie. It wasn't because of Mike. I think it was just that Brian had way too much going on in his head and for all different reasons, wasn't able to, like he had painted himself into a corner. And you had mentioned earlier the David Procopi tape set. I had a copy of that in 1993 and he actually brought up a good point. He, in his liner notes for that set, he said something like explaining what caused smile to not happen is about as complicated as trying to explain why the Beatles broke up. So, of course, my first thought was, wait a minute, Yoko stopped Smile? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Yeah. yeah, she did not break up the Beatles. I know that. But, <laughs> but yeah, there's it. We'll, we'll never, there's, I don't think there's a single reason. And I quite, in fact, I'm really starting to think that really, I talked before about how I thought that that book that was referring to the ill fated Smile album. I was thinking, oh, they must mean Smiley Smile. The more I think about it, the more I think Smiley Smile really is Smile. That's what Smile would have been if September 18th, 1967 was the date Smile came out. That's what we would have had, period. (laughs) Simply because the more I think about it, the more I'm agreeing with a lot of people who say that the reason Smiley Smile came out instead of Smile was that Brian had to change trajectory along the way and realize, wait a minute, what I've been trying to do, that's over and done now. That's not what's going on now. I have to get with the times and go on to the next thing. All that fancy stuff, all those bells and whistles, I'm going to pull back on those and do something extremely basic. Sure as hell, that's what everybody started doing around that time. Well, yeah. Look at the White Album compared to Sgt. Pepper. Oh, yeah. But, but but as Sir George Martin said oh. in Beautiful Dreamer, when he said how we had heard about Smile and we waited for it to come out and we waited for it in vain, yep. but now we have it and it's fantastic. <sighs> if Sir George Martin likes it, yeah, who am I to argue? So now that we have Smile, we can talk about... The thesis statement. The thesis statement? The thesis statement. So why don't you explain what you mean by thesis statement for those of us who don't remember okay, to term paper I'm, writing. <laughs> uh, not that I really, as someone who has taught high school English, even to me, the term thesis statement kind of gives me bad feeling because it means I have to read a lot of papers and grade them, and they're often not very exciting. But Thesis statement in this context is exciting because it's talking about things that you don't write papers about. Well, some people do, but not us. And I don't know if this was something I had heard elsewhere or if I came up with this on my own, but like when you listen to Abbey Road, what do you think the thesis statement of Abbey Road is? If you could just take one sentence that sums up Abbey Road as a whole, as a piece of work, what do you think that would be? That would have to be, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Exactly. And you would think the thesis statement would be closer to the beginning, but that's like the very last thing. Well, again, we're not talking about structured essays in English class, thank God. We're talking about fun stuff, (laughs) things we care about. It's like when I first really started listening to Abbey Road, like when you listen to it and you compare it to, say, Love Me Do, 
which was only, what, seven years earlier? Seven years earlier, yeah. It's like, good night. They grew and advanced so much as songwriters, as musicians, as, well, I mean, George Martin did, but even George Martin grew as a producer. I mean, they all came out so much better than when they started. So it's like you look at as if Abbey Road is their culminating work over this period of seven years. And really, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You could say that's the thesis statement of the Beatles' entire body of work. I guess so. So it's just kind of looking at it in sort of an academic way that they put together, not that they intended it this way or they ever looked at it this way themselves, but it's just, I guess that's the advantage that we have being Beatles fans who weren't even born until after the Beatles broke up. Yeah, right. We can look back at their entire career as as a whole, as opposed to being around as it unfolded. Not saying one perspective is better than the other, it's just more that's the perspective we come from, where we look at the Beatles as a contained unit. So that's kind of just the thought of the thesis statement. And we started kind of looking at that in terms of other albums, like albums that are kind of presented as a cohesive work, which not every album is, and that's okay. Like say more of the monkeys was not gonna have a thesis statement. No. Oh no. And if it did, Mike Nesmith, God rest his soul, would come find you and punch you in the face. Oh that the thesis statement of more of the monkeys, that could have been your face, motherfucker. Oh well yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh yeah. It's like, that wasn't on the album, but yet that is a key part of the history of that unfortunate record. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, we talked about Pet Sounds. What's the thesis statement of Pet Sounds? I just wasn't made for these times. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that's undeniable just because we know from all the history, all that's been written about Pet Sounds, and even, you don't even have to read anything, just listen to the album. Yeah. That's where Brian was at at the time. Yeah. That's what he was feeling. He had friends, he had bandmates, but yet he was operating on a different plane and a different wavelength. And that kind of went into Smile. Like, Smile even heightened that feeling. So... Of course, we never really considered a thesis statement for Smile before 2004, just because we didn't really look at Smile as a completed, cohesive work. I mean, we had plenty of tracks, we had plenty of theories, we had plenty of discussion in the various fan forums, Yeah, but yet we knew that we didn't have the whole story. We didn't have the whole picture. Sure. And then when Brian finished Smile in 2004, it's like, okay, here is a finished, cohesive work. And let's put aside any arguments, you know, any of you who are about to get up and say, but what about the 60s and we can't take the 2004 as a completed thing and Darian, pre-? just sit down, just sit down, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> let's just say... Brian put out Smile in 2004, which is a fact. This is an album called Brian Wilson Presents Smile. Now, what is the thesis statement of that album? 
I had this in mind when we first listened to that February 20th, 2004 audience recording. When you were sitting on the floor cross-legged and I was sitting on my office chair, we were at my computer. I told this story before in this episode, but still. When I heard the repeated phrase, I believe. Mm-hmm. Just right away, I thought, oh my God, mm-hmm. that is the thesis statement of Smile, I believe. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because there are other thesis statements that you could draw out of Smile, but why does that one resonate so much? In the case of Smile, for me, it's that, oh, again, like I talked about earlier, how I was so excited to wake up the next day and watch the internet and look at all the people responding about how, oh, Brian copped out, he didn't do Smile after all, and all this, and I was going to say, told ya, (laughs) but this time it turned out I was wrong. We were both wrong. And when we were both wrong, well, okay, we were doubting Thomas's in this. Mm -hmm. We really were, because it's like, I believe it when I see it. Well, I see it now. And I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe. And I don't know about you, but th- this was barely halfway, not even really halfway through Smile at this point. Well, maybe it was halfway through. And I'm thinking, good God, this is the most brilliant thing. But even though we haven't finished it yet, it's like, man, this is it. I believe. It was a work with a capital W. Yeah. And a capital Irk. Oh, yeah. As seen by Darian's face, uh, during well, most of the show. <laughs> it's also it's also think about the dedication when we finally got the CD. Yeah, we and we were looking through the booklet and there's a page with a photo of Brian and Louie. Yeah. And the thank, dedication thank God it wasn't banana or Oh else. my god, I would have been that would have been the end of me. And the dedication was to the fans. Smile was dedicated to the fans because if it weren't for the fans just embracing this music, Brian may not have ever gone back to it. Mm. And I mean, that's something that I mean, when he started really coming back out into the world in the mid to late 90s, I mean, that was something Melinda said, like, he he has to know what the fans think and mm-hmm. what the fans are saying. Yep. And what the fans are listening to. And it wasn't just the fans. How many people in the industry have had smile boots in their collections? Yep, yep. (laughs) I mean, it was pretty well known. And these tapes and records and CDs had been passed around for years. So it's, it's like it took fans believing in this music and believing in Brian's abilities and just kind of providing this quiet support all these years. Yep. And something else that I think of, too, is just when I hear I believe. Now, do you know, where else have you heard I believe, I believe? Do you know? Miracle on 34th Street. Yes. Yes. When near the end of the movie, when... Hey, spoiler, come on! Oh, stop. (laughs) If you haven't seen Miracle on 34th Street by now, the movie came out in 1947. Get with the program. But when little Natalie Wood... I mean, she's a little girl who never believed not just in Santa Claus, but not in any kind of fairy tales or anything that wasn't concrete. Yeah. But yet, through the course of the movie, she does believe, and so does her mother. And that's 
just a beautiful thing that sometimes you just have to believe in things that you can't see. And isn't it appropriate that Royal Festival Hall is on 34th Street in London? Oh, no, it isn't. Yeah, really? You're, you're right. It's not. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't know. Where, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know where the heck it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's, that was a super corny thing to say. But yeah, I, mean, I stole that from the Brady Bunch Christmas thing. So. But at... <laughs> oh, God. Uh. But that's the thing. We can take smile and just take it down to those two words. We had to believe in Brian, and Brian had to believe in himself, that he could do this, that he could take this brilliant music he had conceived of back in the 60s when he was a younger man in a different place, in a different headspace, Yep. and pick it up again 37 years later with different people, though some of the same, like Van Dyke Van Parks. Dyke Parks. You know, I, I always said that Brian didn't finish Smile in 1967 because he had to wait for Darian to grow up, yep. first of all, mm-hmm. to help him. He had to wait for nonlinear editing. Yep. He had to wait for digital recording and recording systems that allowed a vast number of tracks. I'm curious as to how many tracks they actually used. Yeah, but the fact is, even if Brian only used a handful of tracks, the fact that he would have an endless number at his disposal to use yeah. if he wanted to. 72 and that, tracks, assuming they use Pro Tools. And that he didn't have to, yeah, he didn't have to take tracks and mix down seven tracks to one and then open up those. Like, he didn't have to do all of that. And even if he did, because of digital technology, he wouldn't have lost any generation of sound. So that would have been something else. And he also had to wait for the CD. Yeah, like we mentioned earlier in this episode, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of of believing had to happen. And And, it did. and, And yeah, it happened. And not only that, but it was also recorded modularly, just like the original. And uh, somebody proved that by isolating Nick's truck driving man vocal. Mm. I asked the person, how did you do that? It's clear and loud. You don't hear anything else. He said, I took a chance that they copied and pasted one iteration of Who Ran the Iron Horse to make it happen again. So basically, it's the exact same performance, but with the addition of Nick's vocal. So he just inverted the phase on one of them and combined them, and it left Nick's vocal. So that's why we're able to hear what the rest of you are about to hear right about now. Truck driving man, do what you can. Hightail load off the road, out of nightlife. I'm a gas man. I don't believe I gotta grieve I'm out of luck with a buck and a booth Catching on to the truth in the vast Past the last gas land of the dust Trust as you must Catch as catch can So, a lot of uh, what Brian did in the 60s They did again in the aughties And we're kind of doing here Because we recorded this episode modularly Really, (laughs) and pieced it together, seriously Look at the uh, description of the episode. You'll see which dates we recorded this on. But that's also why it's a blessing that Brian had Mark Lynette by his side. Brian, who still, in some ways, produces the way he did in the 60s, he still has... Not saying that Brian just wasn't made for these times. I mean, Brian, I'm sure knows how modern recording equipment works. Yeah. But he's still going to approach... Almost like, uh, think about it as problem solving. Like his method is still as it will. I mean, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a, 
and say your place or mine, he still insists on having a little mono car speaker hooked up. So I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so he knows, even though, even though, of course, car sound systems are much better well, than they yeah. were in your general factory installed car sound system is a hell of a lot better than yeah. it was in 1965. <laughs> any modern state of the, I mean, mind you, I've never been in a recording studio, so I'm not speaking from experience, but the way that modern recording studios are now, there's no way they don't have that option to listen back in mono. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's just a Brian Wilson setting. Or it could know. be. I don't know. <laughs> you I don't press know. a button that says Brian Wilson. <laughs> but yeah, so it's kind of fun to take when you take an album that's a cohesive work. You kind of think like if this could be summed up in one lyric, what would it be? Try it. Have fun. Hmm. Like what? Give me an example. Name an album. Who's next? Okay. Um, the thesis statement in my mind is Roger Daltrey's shout. <laughs> in, um, oh, I won't suddenly get fooled won't again. get fooled again. Yes. <laughs> Where, see, my thinking is it would be the very last lyric in um, The Song Is Over. Send a note out pure and easy, playing so free like a breath rippling by. I could dig that, but I would argue that's the thesis statement for Lifehouse. Mm. Ooh, because Ooh. that's what the whole thing is about, really. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, now we're getting... Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, let's not get into that no, rabbit no, hole. No, no, that's a rabbit hole we don't want to go down, especially since then. That's another unfinished album that we don't have the full story yeah. and Yeah, we don't want to get in that. Yeah. No. <laughs> wow. Um, are we done talking about I, I think we I think we are. All right, let's let's record a proper ending this time. So Okay. So yeah, that's uh, that's our thoughts on Smile. I hesitate to say what are your thoughts? Email us or tweet us or because man We're gonna have to don the flame proof undies. I'm not so much worried about that. It's more like <laughs> Still- people are gonna we're, people are gonna spend years composing emails <laughs> saying their thoughts on Smile. Or like, you are wrong about that. Well, yeah, like like kind of a general disclaimer. <laughs> this is all just our thoughts and opinions based on many right. years of discussion, debate, reading materials, hearing other people's perspectives. I mean, it's this has been a long time pursuit of ours to try to shape and make sense out of this wonderful vast pit of amazing music yeah yeah and i don't think it's ever gonna happen that anybody's gonna really be able to make sense with it because quite simply because for all practical purposes it doesn't exist it really doesn't well part of the fun of it is well yeah of the course. discussion and the debate i mean it's it's like it's We've like been doing that for almost an hour and a half right now <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's like the Jewish scholars dis- yeah. discussing the Talmud for the past thousand, couple thousand years. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I mean, this is just going to go on forever. But that's part of what has made the whole thing great. Like, if the album had come out in 1967 and been a success or been a failure, it would have been it. Like, we don't sit around and discuss alternate track lists of pet sounds. I mean, maybe once in a while, there's a couple little things like, what if Good Vibrations was on it? What if pet set, what if uh, Sloop John B wasn't? Or I remember a discussion long ago of pet sound signposts, like the little girl I once yeah, knew and yeah. Kiss Me Baby, like songs that maybe 
not necessarily would have fit in on Pet Sounds, but that kind of showed the direction Brian was going in. Yes. But for the most part, people just, Pet Sounds is here and this is what it is and we accept it. But Smile. Actually, our friend Lewis does have his own custom oh, surfs up. But of course. Yeah, but that's. We'll a, talk about that another no, time. No, we maybe. won't talk about that. I don't want to talk about okay, that. Okay, good. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that now. So, But with Smile, it's almost like it's given us this great puzzle and discussion topic that has gone on forever. And it's just another another fun part of this fan community that's yeah. pretty unique. The fan other- community who is screaming for Brian to do a Smile 40th anniversary tour and a Smile 50th anniversary tour. Anniversary of what? <laughs> it never happened. It, it, when was the, the anniversary, anniversary going to be? Of- the anniversary of when he canceled it. In- <laughs> uh, yeah. So what, May 1967? is What do you consider? Uh, let's not get into that or else we're going to take up another hour and a half. Yeah. Let's put an end oh, to I, this. No, 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 end no, 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 no. <laughs> the one other, I do have to get this off my chest though, because what? people insist on always referring to the officially released and finished smile as Brian Wilson presents smile. Well, that's I what it's ma- called. I maintain that it was only called that because that's what it was billed as during the tour. And people say, well, yeah, that's what it was because it's a distinction between Brian's smile and the Beach Boys smile. Okay, then, my fine-feathered friends, explain to me why the 2000 tour was billed as Brian Wilson Presents Pet Sounds. Nobody was talking about distinguishing Brian's pet sounds from the Beach Boys' pet sounds. But suddenly you bring a smile into it? Oh, but that's different. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's let, yeah let let's end yeah, this. Uh, yeah. th- thank you all for listening, and uh, thank you, my dear, for having this discussion with me. And thanks to our beagle Lola, who has slept through this entire discussion. Yeah. And I, I just want to <laughs> say publicly that it is awesome to be married to somebody that I can have these conversations Aww. with. But and yeah. and it's awesome to be married. I to wasn't some- fishing. What? No, I just want to say because <laughs> I've always said that. I know that I'm not the only nut in the world who (laughs) loves this music. Yeah. Well, talk to you again later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the TuneX Podcast. Please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and just about every other provider out there. If TuneX isn't on your favorite provider, please let us know. You can email us at tunexpodcast at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the show notes, is tunex.fab4it.com. Fab4it is spelled F-A-B and then the number four and then I-T. Feel free to connect with us on social media. Tunex is on Facebook and we're also on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handle of Tunex Podcast. Our opening and closing theme, Melody 10, was written and performed by Scattered Frog. All other music and sounds used in this episode remain the properties of their respective copyright holders and are used for the purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. We'll talk to you next time, friends. Until then, don't Don't back back down down from from that that wave. wave.